Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, season two today, Chase. Congratulations. Thank you. I feel like we've graduated or something. I can't believe we actually finished season one. I know. We started it this year and uh, we've persisted and we're through the book of Mark and pressing on to the book of Acts, which is kind of funny because the book of Acts is actually part two to a different gospel. Yeah. And yet we went to the gospel of Mark. Yes. Well, Mark is shorter, so it has kept us from perhaps going many months. We might, it might've been October by the time we got yeah, to, no kidding. to Acts. Uh, which we'll read um, from the beginning of Acts. Um, he addresses the book to a guy named Theophilus. We'll read in just a minute. And um, that'll connect us back to the book of Luke. Yeah. So that's helpful to realize that uh, Luke is part one of a two-part volume. And uh, we are starting part. We're starting Luke part two. <laughs> which is so confusing because, of course, you've got in the order of our New Testaments, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Yep. So it's like, why didn't they make Luke the last of the gospel so that you lead right into the next thing that he wrote, the book of Acts? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know who got to pick the order of the four gospels, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, I definitely would have put Luke and Acts together, but I don't, I don't get to make those decisions. So that's like above my pay grade. Yeah, it, it, it is what it is now. And so <laughs> we're just going to look at it and uh, we'll point out why we can connect that the book of Acts is written by the same person who wrote the gospel of Luke. So uh, we'll go ahead and start in into Acts 1, and we'll make some introductory comments here. Acts 1, verse 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 out of the New American Standard Bible. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, as you read the book of Acts, if you're not familiar with any of the other Gospels, you're like, oh, there was a first account that he wrote to this guy named Theophilus. Right. And you're naturally wondering, what is that? Where is that from? Yeah, so I'm just going to read Luke real quick. Luke chapter 1 gives us the connection point between these two books. Uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke is writing this book for Theophilus. It seems likely in the ancient world that Theophilus may have been like, a sponsor for mm-hmm. the writing like writing was an expensive thing you, not just everybody had papyrus laying around or i'm not sure if it's papyrus or whatever they were writing on um and so it would be common for them to have kind of a a sponsor so, someone who is financially funding the the writing and the distribution copying of whatever work it was 
And so Theophilus, we, this is the only two times he's mentioned is in Luke 1 and Acts 1. We don't know much about him, um, but we do know that uh, it's likely that he was helping to fund this project. And we also note that Luke says from the get-go, I- I'm not an eyewitness to most of these things. Now, we will see Luke show up a few times in the book of Acts when it switches from they, they, they did this or that to we did this or that. So Luke will be silently present a few times in Acts. But for the most part, he says, listen, I'm, I'm creating an orderly account from the eyewitness testimony. Luke was in the first century. He traveled with Paul. He got to meet some of the apostles. And it's just cool to think about how Luke kind of puts this account together. Yeah, sometimes... I think we'd be tempted to think through it more like, man, I really just want to read from the person who was actually there. I want to read from the person that actually did it or was with Jesus. And, you know, out of the four Gospels, two of those guys were with Jesus. They were apostles. Matthew and John. Mark and Luke were not apostles. But when you really think about it, it actually, I think, makes their writing all the more powerful since they weren't with Jesus. Because they went and had to investigate these things for themselves. They are literally in the same shoes we are in now. And the fact that they weren't with Jesus in the flesh or in person. And so they had to go and investigate these things for themselves. And so Luke did that not only with the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, but he also did that with what the apostles were doing. Now, like Stephen said, there will come a point where it appears that Luke is also involved in some of the work that the apostle Paul was doing. But for the good majority of the first part of Acts that we're going to read and spend several months in, Luke's not there. Uh, these are all stories that he collected from second or from first-hand witnesses and from people who were actually there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's I think really powerful because it's the same way we would go about investigating these things. That's right. So I also love that he introduces the book. Uh, he said on the first book, uh, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I think there's a, kind of an implication there that Jesus is continuing to yeah, do and teach. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in the book of Acts, even though he's going to leave the earth here in this first chapter, um, he is still doing and teaching through the apostles. Which, by the way, the full the full title of the book is the Acts of the Apostles. Yeah. Uh, and that's helpful just to remember. Uh, it's like, why is it called Acts? Um, but it's the Acts of the Apostles. Well, and, and it would probably be better titled, Some of the Acts of Some of the yes, Apostles. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> because like, as we'll go on to learn, it's actually covering some of the apostles and what they do. But there are plenty of men that it'll cover in detail and in length. Like like the, the deacon Stephen that we read about, or the, the servant there. Uh, it'll cover an entire chapter and a half just about talking about him. And then there's another guy named Philip. He's not an apostle. He's just a disciple. And so uh, it's really just telling us about the kingdom of God and how it's growing from here, which really ties in well with verse 2 and 3. Of course, Jesus, he is telling them what's going to happen, where they need to be. Uh, But in verse 3, it says, He presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so he's instructing them, telling them what what the kingdom of God is going to look like for them. And out of these first five verses, you do see that idea of continuation. Um, Jesus finished his task in dying for our sins and things like that. But the kingdom of God is still growing. There's still work that needs to be done there. And so before Jesus ascends, he's going to inform his disciples, his 12 apostles, what they or 11 apostles, what they need to be doing to grow the kingdom. Yes. And it is kind of an interesting little time frame to think about. We don't think, I don't think about it a whole lot. I, I don't. I know I Jesus don't. dies and he rises from the dead. And then the apostles are out doing stuff. It's like, well, there's actually this little 
in between time, this 40 days yeah. where he ha- is appearing to different people. There's eyewitness testimony being solidified that he is risen from the dead. Of course, at some, one point we learn in 1 Corinthians 15, he appears to over 500 yeah. brethren at once. And we also learn that he's teaching still during this time. That mm-hmm. seems to be a smaller scale. He's not like out with the crowds like he was, but he is teaching about the kingdom of God. And that is what's going to be the theme in the book of Acts, is the kingdom of God spreading out into the world, first in Judea, and then in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, we'll see that in just a minute. And he tells them, in particular, to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I mean, that takes us back to the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when John the Baptist was starting the ministry of Jesus, that was the thing he said, after me is coming one who's, you know, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is kind of interesting that Mark's gospel began with John the Baptist saying that about Jesus. Jesus has now come. He's accomplished what God wanted him to accomplish. He's died. He's risen from the dead. And now he says, go and wait. And these promises are going to be fulfilled. Yes. Uh, I love how those two things connect just so well. And so that's really a, a good outline of what's going to happen here in just a little bit. Okay, well, let's pick up in verse 6. I'm reading from the ESV, and uh, let's read verses 6 through 14. These are the last moments of Jesus on earth. Acts 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. There's a lot going on in Acts 1, isn't there, Stephen? Mm-hmm. So we see Jesus gathers all of his 11 apostles at that time together, and they have a question for Jesus, which is really interesting. Lord, is it at this, at this time you were restoring the kingdom, kingdom to Israel? What do you think they meant by that? It's a little hard to tell because they've had a lot of misunderstandings through the Gospels. And so we know that they are prone to misunderstand the kingdom, as we've seen over and over again. The Jews were expecting a physical Messiah. Um, That's one reason that they were so terrified and discouraged when Jesus died. It's like, that's not what's supposed to happen. I mean, Peter even took Jesus aside that one time and said, this isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You, You don't understand what's going on. And so it seems like they they might still have an idea, well, he died, but now he's back. 
And so now he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus doesn't answer the question, really. He says, listen, it's not for you to know. The times and seasons, like, um, you, here's what you need to do. You need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And you are going to be my witnesses. And this is kind of cool. Verse 8 becomes kind of a an outline for the whole rest of the book of Acts. Uh, you're going to be my witnesses. And he kind of mentions three phases. Uh, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That kind of covers Acts chapters 1 through 7. And there's the persecution that arises after mm-hmm. Stephen's death. And they're scattered. And then it says they go through Judea and Samaria. That's kind of chapters 8 through 12. And then... We start to read about the missionary journeys of Paul in Acts 13, and that's to, to the end of the earth. It's yeah. kind of phase three. They're going to go out to the most of the known world. Bit of a spoiler alert. By the end of it, Paul gets up. He ends up all the way in Rome right. uh, by the end of the book of Acts. So they really are getting the word everywhere. It's spreading like, like a wildfire. And it's notable that they're going to be witnesses. Mm-hmm. Again, this is eyewitness testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. We've talked about that in our in between podcasts, you know, the significance of the resurrection of eyewitness testimony. And that is what Jesus says. You will be my witnesses. Let me just say as a side note here, that word witness gets thrown around a lot today to talk about people kind of giving their story. Yeah. I'm going to go witness to this person. Right. And I I get that. Um, There is a sense in which we all bear witness to our own experience with Jesus. He's changed our lives and that's powerful. We Mm -hmm. ought to tell people what Jesus has done for us. But the word witness, like biblically speaking, is used to talk about not just like, well, this is my personal experience with Jesus, but like, I saw him. It's talking about what you do with your eyes. Mm-hmm. And like when John and the gospel of John and first John, and he's saying, we, are, we were eyewitnesses. Like we touched him. We saw him. We heard him speak. Uh, that is a very different kind of witness that we see in scripture. And what we're reading here is the eyewitness testimony that Luke has put together. And when the apostles are going out to the ends of the earth, they are telling people, Jesus rose from the dead, and I'm here to tell you that I saw him. I had breakfast with him. Like, he wasn't a spirit. He wasn't a dream. Like, you can go. And Paul will say, you know, there's 500 people. Most of them are still alive. Go ask them. They saw him. And so that word witness is going to be really key, especially in these opening chapters of Acts as we talk about the uh, the testimony, the, the evidence for Christianity. And the book will do a really good job at, at showing just the opposition that these men will, will meet in their want to tell about Jesus. And we'll see their persistence, their boldness, and their courage as they go about doing this. But, I mean, how can't you obey the Jesus, the Lord, that you saw rose, rose from the dead? Uh, if he's telling you to go out and tell about him, you got to go out and tell about them. And so we're going to see more of that as we get into, uh, into the later chapters. But after Jesus says these things, uh, verse 9 tells us that he's lifted up while they were looking on. It's crazy to think about what this was like. And there is a cloud receiving him as he's going up from their sight. And they're looking intently into the sky as this is all going on. And there's these two men in white clothing that are standing beside them. That's kind of like the resurrection scene. Yes. <laughs> the empty tomb. There are a lot of different things that are actually coming to our mind uh, from the Old Testament alike to the New Testament as we think about the ascension of Jesus. But they also say in verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the way you have watched him go into heaven. 
It's a bit of a curious statement, isn't it, Stephen? What, mm-hmm. what do you think he's talking about? Well, there's a promise. I mean, I've heard it said that there's uh, three big divisions of the Bible. <laughs> Old Testament is Jesus is coming. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is Jesus is here. And Acts through the end of the Bible is Jesus is coming back. Um, there is a connected promise that you just saw him ascend to heaven and he is going to come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Um, he physically leaves the earth, but he is coming back again. And so the ascension, one of the big deals about the ascension is that it's the kind of the down payment. Like, okay, he, he's been here once and he's coming again. And his second coming is going to be very different than his first coming. Um, he's not coming to make payment for sins. We'll talk about it in the book of Hebrews. Mm-hmm. But he's coming to save those who are di- eagerly waiting for him. And this is the anticipated event. We'll read about it a little more as we go through Acts, but especially the letters to the Christians and the rest of the New Testament. We'll talk a lot about anticipating, waiting for Jesus coming from heaven. Yeah, it'll kind of talk about him coming back like a thief in the night. No one really knows when it's going to happen. Uh, but when he does, it's going to be a glorious and wonderful day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is powerful to think about. And um, it's interesting that we find out uh, in verse 12 that this was on the Mount of Olives. There's so many things that happened on the Mount of Olives. Um, And uh, that's where Jesus was when he ascended to the Father and is at the right hand of the throne of God, reigning now. And um, it it does mention here, it's about a Sabbath day journey away, which Mm -hmm. would have been a little over half a mile um, from historically what we know about that. and so they, they come back to Jerusalem, and I mean, man, I was like, where's Jesus? Yeah, what do you... He, he went walking with you guys. Where'd he go? What like, do you talk about after that? <laughs> it's right. like, what, what do you discuss? What's... It's just interesting to think about what the feeling in this upper room is like as, yeah. as this has all played out and happened. Yeah. But they seem to be very focused. Um, they're very focused and and uh, what they're going to do. And verse 13 tells us who's there. Uh, You've got Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot. Uh, Of course, that's not Simon, the one who killed himself. Uh, Or sorry, uh, Judas, the son of James, is not the one that killed himself. And they're all devoting themselves to prayer. Mm -hmm. We saw an emphasis on that uh, in the book of Mark. You especially see it in the book of Luke. Uh, If you were to take time to read through that, you would see how much emphasis Luke puts into how much time Jesus spends praying and trying to encourage his disciples to pray as well. Yeah, it's also fascinating that Jesus' mom is there mm-hmm. and his brothers are there. And we learn from like the Gospel of John, we know that Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. We don't see a whole lot of them that in Mark, they came to take him away at one point, thinking he's crazy. But now, Mary and the physical brothers of Jesus are there with the apostles and the other disciples. I think it's really cool to think about that uh, they've apparently become believers at this point. It doesn't give us a lot of detail, but uh, we'll see more from James, the brother of Jesus, in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. We know he becomes a, a, a prominent figure in the early church. Yes, very cool. So we'll go ahead and read verses 15 on to the end of the chapter. Um, chapter 1 of Acts, verse 15. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together and said, Brethren, The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, 
and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field was called Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbath, uh, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. They prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. All right. So uh, Peter kind of takes the initiative here. There's about 120 of the disciples gathered together. And um, he says, listen, like all of this that's happened is to fulfill scripture. I mean, we've just seen that over and over again. But it's interesting that even uh, the betrayal of Judas was part of what the Psalms were anticipating, the betrayal of the Messiah. And he says the Holy Spirit has talked about this beforehand. Um, he became a guide, Judas, that is, Iscariot, became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He was with us. He had a share in this ministry. And, and it gives kind of some graphic detail about what happened to him. It's pretty nasty. I think the idea is, because it doesn't mention him hanging himself here, but I think the way to reconcile that is you know, he, he hung himself and may have been there a while, and then his body falls, and... I read about the results here. Yes, yes, the intestines gush out. It, it, it's very gross, but I mean, it, it's detailing a truth, something that really happened. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes into detail, I think, for that reason. And and for the people reading, I mean, especially the Jewish people, they would have known the field of blood. Mm. They'd be like, oh, that's why we call it Akodama. You know, yeah. the, the field of blood, that's the story behind it. And um, it says uh, in the book of Psalms, he, he quotes from two different Psalms, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. Uh, may his camp become desolate, let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So I was like, okay, like this is all still, the scriptures coming together, that uh, Judas would be would betray the Messiah. And then it says, let another take his office. So he's like, okay, we're actually fulfilling the scripture by replacing Judas. I think another thing I love pointing out here, when you think of somebody taking over an office, you almost think of like like president or, or something like that. But it's actually cool. The, the Greek word here, another way you would translate it, it's not a perfect English word, but it would be like an overseership. Okay, so like this, this person who's in this, uh, this role or office that's overseeing other things. And so I kind of like substituting the word office with, he's going to take over this overseership, this responsibility of overseeing the spreading of the gospel and the overseership of God's people. Yeah, and the role of apostle is going to be really, really important. And very specific. Yes. Um, as one who's sent out is what the word means. Yeah. And apostles are going to have a particular kind of authority from Jesus. You're going to be my witnesses to everybody. And they're going to have an authority to teach, an authority to write these letters. And a lot of the rest of the teaching in the New Testament is from the apostles. Well, and it's a big deal because it, we'll, we'll read like from the apostle Paul or sometimes from the apostle Peter where they will say things that maybe Jesus didn't say. Mm -hmm. They're not things that contradict 
what Jesus's mission was or what Jesus said, but there are things that maybe Jesus didn't say directly. And so we have to take this seriously. If someone is claiming to be an apostle, as we read about in scripture, what they say is on behalf of Jesus. And so uh, that's why we have to be very careful as we approach the biblical text and read about the apostles. We have to take them seriously. They have the authority of Christ. Mm -hmm. They're speaking on his behalf. Well, and Jesus said this specifically in John 16, verse 12. Jesus said, while he was still on earth, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Yeah, great tie-in. I didn't think about that. Yeah, so Jesus specifically said, like, I, I haven't given you everything you need yet. You're not ready for it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send the Spirit, which he's told the apostles, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit. This is what I promised. I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send the Spirit. I mean, this is a big theme in John's Gospel, the coming of the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit, and it ties right into the book of Acts. And that's really, all of this is leading up to Acts chapter 2, the huge hub of the Bible when all this is going to go down, the Holy Spirit's going to fall on the apostles, and they're going to be filled with the Spirit and begin speaking and begin the process of teaching the things that Jesus hadn't taught them yet. But that's a really big deal, because even to this day, there's debate over, well, who are the apostles and things? And we won't go into a whole study of that right now, but I think we see that biblically, scripturally, the apostles were the guys that Jesus picked. Jesus is going to ultimately pick mm-hmm, Matthias that's right. here. Yep. He, they pray to Jesus and say, Lord, who do you want? And he picks Matthias. But from this point, we don't see like just any old person becoming an apostle. I mean, Jesus shows up later to Paul. He, personally, he comes to him on the road to Damascus and he becomes a witness of the risen Jesus. Um, but that's uh, it's powerful to think about um, the role of an apostle here. So they put forward these two guys, um, I always joke that they, they picked Matthias because the other guy had too many names. Yeah, it is funny that they take the time, Luke takes the time to record for us exactly the three names that this guy had. But that's Joseph Colbosavis, who was also called Justice. And he is not the one that they end up picking. I don't, so. I don't think it would have fit on the name tag. <laughs> I, I don't think so either. So, uh, so they pick Matthias. Well, they don't pick Matthias. They pray to the Lord who knows the hearts of everyone. He says, which one do you want to, to choose to take this place in the ministry? And they cast lots, which was like kind of this game of chance, kind of like drawing straws or something like that. I'm not sure. We, we don't know exactly yeah, we're what We're not sure was. exactly what it is. But the Lord uses that process to right. show, here's who I want. The lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11. So now you have a full complement of 12 apostles ready for the work that Jesus has for them. And they're still going to be waiting a little bit here um, until the day of Pentecost. We'll get to that in Acts chapter 2. I'd like to put some more emphasis, too, on these guys having been with Jesus. That, that's a really important thing to see. Um, and we're getting into some early themes of Acts as I say this, but over and over again as we read and as we study through Acts, we're going to see these men, and we're going to see glimpses of Jesus through them. And that's a really important thing to see, uh, because it is enough for the for the servant to become like the master. Mm-hmm. And we will see these guys acting in ways that Jesus acted, teaching in ways that Jesus taught. And it truly shows men who have not only been with Jesus, but have been transformed by what they've seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we'll see that. And you'll hear me and Stephen point that out over and over again as we go through Acts. We'll be like, oh, that that kind of sounds like something Jesus said, or that kind of sounds like something Jesus did. Well, it's because, as verse 22 points out, these are men who were with Jesus from the beginning of the baptism of John 
all the way up into his resurrection. They spent the three years with him. They put in the time, and it shows in the book of Acts. Yeah, and again, they must become a witness of his resurrection. They have to be able to bear firsthand testimony and say, I saw him alive. Uh, But it is cool that we'll see that later in uh, Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John are before the same council that killed Jesus, and they are bold. And it says in Acts 4.13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I love that about these men. And so that's right. We've now got 12 guys again. And that is kind of a cool thing that 12 it's a pretty symbolic number in Scripture mm-hmm. uh, that uh, in the Old Testament you had the 12 tribes of Israel, and that becomes significant um, just as like the whole number of the people of God. But I've always wondered, too, is it just something as well as Jesus sending them out two by two, and when Judas died, Bartholomew lost his partner. And he's like, <laughs> That's right. Guys, I, I need somebody. <laughs> like, can we, can we get, can we we get, get me a partner? Get him and get him uh partner to go with yeah and so i think there's symbolic number there's practical practicality to it um but they have a full complement of 12 guys who are going to go out and turn the world upside down Mm -hmm. Um, so we'll see that beginning next week stay tuned uh, for acts chapter 2 which is sometimes called the hub of the bible Um, there's so much that comes together i find myself going back to acts 2 all the time and so that that'll be a fun podcast we look forward to sharing that with you all Yeah, thanks so much for tuning in today. Um, If you're enjoying what you hear on the podcast, uh, please subscribe, rate, review us. Uh, If you're interested in further studies, we'd love to hear from you personally. Uh, We've got some online Bible studies going right now. Um, If you'd like to contact us, 717-585-0949. Drop us an email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, see us on the web at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.